Hey everyone, I'm Johnny Nelson, and today's podcast episode comes to you from inside a van. That's right. I have kissed sweet Chicago goodbye for the winter. I renovated a van, and my husband and I took off. We are currently in Sarasota, enjoying some warmth. But let us not kid you, we're also living in a small, tiny little space. <laughs> so it's pretty good, but don't be too jealous. It's, it, I'm, I'm trying not to rub it in too much. Anyways, uh, today's special guest is Andrew Schneider. Andrew is literally one of the most creative and community-focused individuals I know. He has his own company, which is uh, Catalyst. They uh, turn events and stages and shows for businesses into memorable and magical moments. It's pretty cool what they do. You can check them out at catalystcollective.us. That's catalystcollective.us. And uh, in this episode, we we talk a lot about how him and his husband, Paul, do such a good job of fostering community around them in Chicago, uh, especially during COVID. It's very cool to see what they do with their neighbors and how they create such a communal vibe around them, something that I have certainly wanted in Chicago most of my life and felt like I didn't have. So it was very cool to hear about that. We talk about creativity in general. We talk about gay stuff, internalized homophobia. You're going to love it. Even if you're straight, you're going to love it. <laughs> Especially if you're straight. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're going to love Andrew. He's one of the coolest guys I know. Enjoy this episode. And if you would do a huge favor to me, and that is just simply subscribe or like uh, wherever you're listening or watching, that will go a really long way in helping uh, me grow the podcast as we're only, I believe, in episode 13. Watch me be wrong, but I think this is episode 13. Yep, I just double-checked myself. It is. Okay! Enjoy. Come on, dance. Wake up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on, dance. Wake up the appetite. I want every podcast guest to sit in a chair like this, <laughs> knee up, like, I'm going to have to find a way to make this possible in the van. I'm going to lay in the bed when I interview people from now on, and uh, <laughs> this table that you're on uh, converts it to a couch, and I'll just have that person lay there. You look comfortable. I'm trying to be. I'm faking it till I make it. Um you know, like I said, I met a neighbor's house who was gracious enough to let me use her house. And I found a room that was sort of the furthest away from the noise. And it happens to be this, she, she's got a great eye for design and style. And like, you know, she's, this is her husband's office and it's pretty tricked out and pretty gorgeous. And we're on the third floor looking out of this kind of turret. So I've got these like sort of surround windows, but it's very calming. And what's interesting is because we live next door on the first floor I'm sort of looking at almost the same view that I see every day, but it's different because I'm two stories up and I'm like, huh, never noticed this there, never, you know, like the slight shift in geography and suddenly my neighborhood looks like a different place. Oh yeah, that's wild. Yeah, seen it from a different vantage point. Also, I feel like this already speaks to like one of the things I appreciate about you so much is that you and Paul are so connected, your husband Paul, are connected so much to your neighborhood. And, oh, like, yeah. the way you guys have, like, fostered this, like, little micro-community around you in Chicago is the fucking coolest. And, like, <laughs> my husband, uh, Matt, and I came over, and we had dinner on your porch uh, this summer. And, like, people are coming by, like, dropping off packages. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> his husband's playing music with his window open from uh, the piano, and people are like, hey. How's it going? <laughs> they have this like community garden out there, and yeah, you yeah. guys have something really special over there. Yeah, thank you. I we feel really fortunate. In fact, if I remember that night, it was COVID dinner on the porch, right? Which is weird. Like I've known you for a few years now, and Paul and I have known you and Matt for maybe a year, and you've never set foot in our home, nor have we set foot in your home because our friendship has evolved during COVID. Yeah, isn't that strange? It's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yes. But just the part about like, oh my God, you've never set foot in my home. 
Uh, that night, I remember Matt brought his cello, and yeah, Paul, of course, the piano was inside, but he had it near the windows. He did that a lot this summer so that people could sit on the porch, we could have safe distance, in fact, even windows, and he would play. Matt, if I remember correctly, Matt brought his cello, yeah. and one of the people who stopped by, remember there was just a lady standing at the end of the sidewalk just <laughs> yes. listening and clapping? Yes. And, yeah. I, I joke sometimes, I probably said this to you, that that part of why I married Paul was because of the village that he had here on Ravenswood. Um, like it was part of his dowry or something, but yeah, well, case in point, I'm sitting in my neighbor's house. I know, exactly. They're in Massachusetts. We look after the house when they're gone. She's like, of course, use the house. Um, yeah. The, uh, in fact, just before you and I started the zoom, you know, there's that daycare in the building where I work at the end of the street. Yeah. And so uh, Andrew, Andrew lives within walking distance from his house, which is great too. I do. I mean, I'm house, sorry, from, from his uh, work rather. Yeah. My house is the next building to my right from where I am here. And my studio is one, there's two homes, a condo building and then work. It's like 500 feet. Um, and in the building where my studio is, there's a daycare, which I love. Paul and I love kids. So three or four times a day, they go walking by. Paul calls it the chain gang, you know, where all the kids are holding yeah. on and moving candles. <laughs> and, and they often stop at the house and Paul plays for them. Um, a couple years ago, they the teachers asked us, they brought the kids in and we gave them a little garden tour and they got to see, you know, worms and composting. So just before you called, <laughs> I could hear one of the kids kind of crying. I looked down and they're all walking down the street. So I pop open the window and I'm like, hey, everybody. And like for toddlers... And like in their mind, I'm always there. So they were very confused by, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the tight knit, this, this block and some neighbors on the next block and around the corner, man, everyone looks out for each other. Everyone looks after each other's kids. If someone's out of town, you know, it's feed the cat or water the plants or whatever. It's a very, um, it creates a great deal of this for me, a great sense of safety and security in the world. You know, it's been a scary year. Yeah. And, and to feel really known and connected to all the people in my physical proximity is, you know, that's been a real gift. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, like, in part seeing you and Paul, like, have this kind of, like, community around you, too. Like, I've been a lot more reflective of, like, I've always kind of felt like I've wanted that. And I felt, well, oh, I live in Chicago. Like, my neighbors are too temporal. Uh, you know, people rent above you. And... um I feel like I make a lot of excuses to not do that. And it's like, I can be nice to these people and foster a relationship for a year. <laughs> they don't have to be a lo- around yeah. long term. Yeah. Long term. And I've also felt that way too with like, I've kind of like done some introspection this year yeah. about, um, uh, I've always felt like I've had more limited bandwidth than I probably thought I've ha- had for friendships. I've always been so protective of my time that like, I'm like, oh, I don't have time to build more relationships or like it's, it's been an odd thing that I've started to come to realize that, like, no, I've got time to meet new people and have new friends. I'm not that busy. I just, I grew up being kind of very protective of my time. And I think I also, like, partly I would say this, growing up in the closet, too, I think I had been a little bit more protected about how open I want to be with people. And I think um, at a certain point in my life, too, because I felt dishonest about who I was I made an effort to spend less time with people because I felt guilty about presenting like a version of me that was a lie to them and that and you know and now being out of the closet for a number of years I've like I I still have to kind of like shift this boat of like you have nothing to hide be open with people spend more time with people yeah, what you're saying makes total sense. And I, I've had this conversation quite recently. I can't remember with who that, you know, so I'm 52. I came out when I was, let's say, 35-ish. Um, and, you know, I I almost can't remember sort of living life the way that I used to. But once in a while, I'll catch myself feeling a little facetious or a little, um, I don't know if dishonest is maybe too strong of a word, but feeling like I'm not being true to myself or true to how I'm feeling with people in the moment. And then I have to realize I practiced that skill for 35 years. Yeah. We all did. And, and, and you like, you know, to your point, you can come out of the closet, but it doesn't mean that that habit or skill suddenly just goes away. 
Right. Yeah, that, like, oh my gosh. Like, playing, you know, almost, we all play a character, I guess, all the time in some ways, but, like, playing a character that you don't want to be. <laughs> yeah. And, and and a character that isn't who you are. I just, it's funny, I haven't thought about this, Johnny, until you mentioned it, but I would say, well, since the pandemic, you know, like a lot of people, I've had more time on my hands. And sometimes I spend more time on social media than I want to, but I've been purposeful, specifically on Facebook, um, about connecting with people from my hometown. Okay. And where I grew up, my graduating high school class was like, I don't know, 130 kids or something like that. And I don't remember the number, but like half of us had been classmates since kindergarten and a few of us since preschool. That's insane. So, so, So for me, these are like, even if I haven't seen them in 20 years, it's like when you've known someone from the time you were five until you're 18, even if it's casual, like, you know them. Yeah. And to your, to this topic about, you know, I'm, I'm putting a label on it, but just like being your authentic self, you know, not hiding from your sexuality or whatever. Every single person I've connected with is like, Oh my God, it's so great to see you. And your husband seems great. I have not experienced an ounce of homophobia. Yeah. For anyone I grew up with. And in particular, especially I feel like a lot of the women who I've known since I was a child, they're just super affirming. And Paul, you know, even if I don't, if it's someone who lives out of state and we don't see each other in person, you know, they see little bits of Paul at the piano and they're like, Oh, I'm really happy for you. And I actually had a, a, you know, a direct message thread with a woman who I've known again since high school and longer just about being gay in high school. And she was like, yeah, I wasn't sure. And I kind of wondered, but my point is like, it's amazing how much energy and I'm not being, I'm not, you know, I was a kid in the seventies and a teenager in the eighties in a smallish town you know, times are radically different now. And, you know, kids are out at 14 and have boyfriends at 16 and a gay yeah. straight alliance in high school. Those things weren't even in our yeah. imaginations. And I, I, you know, it's just been, it's been very, um, it's been a really interesting learn to realize that part of my brain, the programming like you and I were talking about is to be kind of cautious or careful with people. But for me, nine times out of 10, the fear or the rejection or the homophobia that I'm afraid of is yeah. out there. It's not out there, yeah. which means it's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Uh, that's a weird way to put it. That like the homophobia is more like potentially a narrative in your voice or in, uh, inside you than outside of you. That's, well, that's, that's something that like, I think has been on our radar traveling South <laughs> as we're in Florida and like we spent time in Texas escaping the Chicago cold, um, is that I have felt less comfortable, um, like, you know, with little PDA holding hands or whatever. And it's hard to know what's self-imposed. The majority of it's self-imposed, right? No matter how people are responding. But of course you like you want to be cautious because there is some, some semblance of a level of like the risk of a threat or violence or, you know what I mean? Or an uncomfortable social situation, um, that can potentially loom, but it's hard to know how to, you know, relax a little bit. Being here in Florida and in the South, <laughs> as opposed to Chicago, like we take it for granted that like in Chicago, Matt and I, like we, it is almost never on our radar to like need to be cognizant of like being affectionate towards each other or letting people know that we're a couple even. Yeah. It's funny when you talk about the South every once in a while lately, because our countries, you know, I feel like we're all paying attention to, you know, to prejudices, whether racial or, or, you know, gender or orientation or whatever. And I, and I'm trying really hard to not go, Oh, people from the South are conservative slash backward like we've got bigotry and homophobia up here and they've got progressive sex positive of course but the history is there and it's funny because you mentioned that my husband paul is grew up in savannah georgia and four years ago ish might have been five we road tripped through the south to florida to meet his mother i was meeting her for the first time and there were a couple of like towns or neighborhoods we pull over for a bite to eat where i was like i'm not holding my husband's hand here and I remember it's the funniest little thing, but we would 
you know, when you're on the road, you stop at a cafe for bacon and eggs or whatever. Almost every time the two of us ate out together, the server would say, do you want separate checks or combined? Yeah. Like it was sort of assumed we wouldn't be together because we're men. Whereas up here, even if we're not necessarily demonstrative or holding hands or, you know, a peck on the lips across the table or whatever, there's sort of an assumption that if these men are out today together, they're together. It's just a different mindset. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting too, because like, and going back to what you said about like having like the homophobia be in your own head, it's, it's interesting because I, I remember even thinking before I came out of the closet of like, Hey, you know what? I want you to remember that you get weird vibes from people all the time because people are weird <laughs> or because you choose to like uh, psychoanalyze people for like that don't need it to be psychoanalyzed by you as they pass by. And remember that when, after you're out of the closet or like with your husband, that these moments don't amount <laughs> to necessarily someone being homophobic or uncomfortable with you. Yeah. Because it's been... It's, there's an expression... Yeah, go ahead. As I say, there's an expression that I've heard, which is, what other people think of you is none of your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, internalized homophobia, that's a real thing, man. It's a real thing. It, it's, how can you avoid it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's something that we can progressively dispel and let go of and, you know, and become stronger and healthier and more self-accepting and whatever, but... You know, it's there's a certain degree of imprinting there, but I don't know if it's ever going to go away. You know, and it's interesting, too, because, like, I mean, personally, I saw an arc in me growing up where, like, especially growing up very religious, that, like, for the longest time, it was, like, like self-loathing, like, oh, uh, like, I don't, it's not okay to be gay, I don't feel good being gay, it's like, slowly transitioning, like, no clear definitive moment to, like, oh, this is fine. I'm fine with other people. I'm just not comfortable coming out. And then like transitioning to like, I'm getting comfortable with myself and coming out. And so it's, um, <laughs> there's, it's just so, it just evolved so slowly for me personally. Like I came out at like to everybody around 29 and, um, like that evolution, I guess, you know, that evolution is kind of always taking place, right? <laughs> Like getting comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Metra. Hey -o. It's so interesting, but at this height, it's almost like I could see right into the passenger cars. Because from our house we're a little bit lower. You guys jump on that metro? <laughs> waving at them. Yeah. Well every everyone's like I love the train. It's just it's part of Paul calls it like the tapestry of the neighborhood and it's not super loud. And it's Metro, so it's not super frequent. Yeah. But um, every once in a while, we get annoyed with it. Like Paul's trying to do a recording and the train goes, or I'm trying to do a call, and it's warm weather and the windows are open. But the best way to gain appreciation for the train is to watch the kids at the preschool. They have a little playground, and the train, they, they hear it, and they all screech and go running <laughs> to the gate. And like, the train, the train, oh, the train. And then I'm like, oh, trains are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why can't we live life like that more? <laughs> it's good to have, that's why, for me, why it's good to have kids around. Our nephew, who's now seven, um, when he was little at the house, you know, two, three, probably almost four years old, if we were anywhere in the house, and he heard the train, he would run to the front of the house to watch it go by. And sometimes in the yard, we'd wave. And every once in a while, the conductor would wave back and honk the horn. And yeah, the kids have that really refreshing appreciation for things. It's good. It's good to be around. <laughs> yeah. I was just uh, I'm reading um, The Happiness Project by Gretchen. Oh, I can't remember her last name. Um, and she's talking right now. Uh, there's a chapter in her book about... Um, uh, like having children and the type of joy you get from children. And it's not always in the moment joy. <laughs> and sometimes it's like the benefit of having children um, and seeing things again through their eyes and like having a, um, to get to relive those experiences. And I'm like, yeah, that is entirely true. Like when I'm around my nieces, like that's so contagious watching them like do all their first again. Or like you, you help out at your nephew's school. Like 
I've gone and taught in some schools um, for Second City over the years, and like walking back into an elementary school and seeing it, like, it doesn't matter what elementary school it is, they all smell and look the same. They totally do. Like they've got like the, 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 the pictures on the walls of like, yeah, like paper mache stuff and like everyone, everyone did like 30 versions of a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> or like, and it all has the same smell and it's just like, you immediately are like, oh yeah, I grew up in this space for what was my entire life until I was 17 and like, or 18, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Champs, he's in second grade now, of course, with COVID, he's a CPS kid. So he last spring started learning remotely in this whole school year, which is just so freaking hard and challenging, man. I mean, this, you know, uh, it's to, to state the obvious, this pandemic has just been, it's hard for everyone. And like, first of all, Oh my God, uh, half a million people in our country have died. And then, oh my God, how many more have been seriously ill and are dealing with, you know, I mean, and then you look at unemployment and, you know, but for parents, I mean, Paul and I don't have a, a kid in our home. We're not raising, I mean, champs in and out of our house, but we're not raising a kid right now. Neither are you guys. But like, I really hurt for my friends, you know, first of all, our nephew champ is an only child. So when you're living at home oh, and you're yeah. doing the school remotely, he has zero interaction with other children. That's yeah. not healthy for kids at this age. No. And then we have friends, one family in particular, they live in South Edmonton. They have four children. The oldest is a high school freshman. Then you've got, I don't think Gabe is in junior high. So you've probably got two in grade school and then one who's like four years old and still at home. And then you have parents. This is true of my niece and her husband too. Parents working from home. In my niece's case, you got her working full-time from home. Her husband works, he does landscaping, So he's out of the yeah. house all the time. You can't throw your third grader and your kindergartner in front of a computer and walk away for eight hours. So my sister, in that case, the grandparents, uh, the grandmother comes to my nieces and helps take care of the kids. And then like our friends with the four kids, they're both self-employed. So it's not like, I mean, I, it's, it's, I, I can only imagine the teachers and parents and kids are going to be so freaking happy next fall when they can not be cooped up in their homes. And can you imagine that as a parent trying to like take care of your job while monitoring your child? No, who's I can't. being schooled electronically? No, like this pandemic is not, ex uh, not everyone's getting the same experience. Some people are getting a hell of a lot harder. And like Matt and I, like we like, we know how much it affects us and like how much I'll feel off. And I'll be like, man, my brain feels different. Oh yeah. Cause there's a pandemic. Oh, that's right. And I haven't yeah. uh, had like hardly any like friendships that are like in person through this whole year. I didn't get to perform at all. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't get to go into work, but like Matt and I are in a van in Florida swimming in the ocean right. and like, um, patios are you open and like, and like, it's tough for us. <laughs> like, I can't imagine living I, in like so many different situations. I would say we have it easier than so many people and it feels hard. I th I think it's really, in my opinion, it's really good and really healthy that you can acknowledge both. Like I, I try to remind myself consistently that most of my trials and frustrations are very first world. I also try to remind myself that I'm a white cisgendered male. Like every day is easier for me than it is for people of color or for women, you know, without me even knowing it, there are just certain things that are easy for me. Um, and, and Paul and I, you know, here's the thing. I'm in the live events industry and Paul's a musician we make our living by large groups of people coming together. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't been happening for a year. Yeah. And so we struggled, you know, I, each of us has vacillated between unemployed to underemployed. I feel really, really grateful to your point about certainly people have it harder. We've had enough work to cover the basic bills. Some unemployment has helped. Some PPP money has helped. I mean, we're not like, you know, it's not like, oh, we're making all kinds of money. Who wants work? Like, we're okay. We're getting by, which feels honestly like an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, think about people. Yeah, it's just, it, it feels healthy for me to at times give myself permission to feel sad or to feel angry or just to be frustrated that things aren't 
you know, like I want to see my family more. I want to see my friends. I want to hang out with you and, you know, not be on a zoom or whatever. Yeah. But then I got to remember like, okay, everyone in my household and my, we share our quarantine with my sister and her husband. And then, and then the other households in my immediate family, my, my mom and dad, my sister and her family, my niece and her family, some we've, uh, I, I know of COVID losses that are sort of once removed for me. And I feel like that's a gift and a miracle. You know, my parents, yeah. my parents are in their mid eighties, early eighties. And last today, today's Thursday. Yep. Yeah. So yesterday marked two weeks after their second shot. My parents are fully inoculated. Oh, good. Yeah. That's a, that's the a number movie. one. The number one worry for me for 11 months has been keeping my parents alive. And they've made really good choices. And my sister and niece who live near them have made deliveries and enabled them to, you know, to quarantine. But, you know, and, and my mom, you know, she's in her early 80s, but she's internet savvy. And I, she's like, when do we know about getting our vaccines? And I said, you need to look on your state, you know, your state in Indiana, the, the health website and whatever. She spent two or three hours getting her and dad signed up to get their first shots and they got them done. I am both proud of them. I'm grateful. And also, again, not everyone has those kind of resources and has access like that. Yeah. This is, you know, I feel, I feel I'm, I'm trying to be aware of privilege. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a care and I want to be like, my life is hard because I can't go to, Jazzercise, you know, or whatever. But come on, jazzercise <laughs> is a big part of your life, Andrew, and it's no small thing. It's always been an important part of my life. <laughs> um, I, I have to tell you this. So, like, you know, it's very funny how, like, I guess, like, if you give your brain, like, I don't know, time to, like, be out of its regular rigmarole, like, how it starts thinking and like, well, I guess probably like not being around people and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's been very fascinating, like what my brain has started thinking of and like thinking of the past more. And um, bizarrely enough, mm. this past past month, feeling like I missed going to church. Like the idea of like interesting. And and to me, it's like. And it's very funny because it's um it's not from like a um so much a religious point of view, but like I I was like you know reflecting a lot in the past and remembering like the feeling of like you go to a big group a place where you have a bunch of friends and like you sing songs and you try to work on yourself and improve yourself. It's like yeah, <laughs> and there's usually food involved. There's food involved, even if it's just cookies and coffee. There's shenanigans involved, yeah, you know, the, like the classic church potluck. Who doesn't love the church potluck? Yeah, yeah, which is funny because I haven't, I haven't felt that way in like years, and I'm just like, oh no, I lost you. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sorry about that. Uh, the Wi-Fi went out. Um, this is, yeah, so basically, I'll give you a little tour here. This is, like, the bed right here, the fridge, I see the, the fridge sink. underneath. Yeah, there's, the, there's a fridge there, the sink. Wait, you don't have plumbing. You don't have actual plumbing, oh, do you? Oh, yeah, you better believe it, baby. It's actually just a, it's like a foot pump down here. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Dude, you're so manly you're building all this shit. I know, bro, I'm so manly cameras and this is the cab <laughs> oh i see okay so what i was seeing with behind the bed is actually the back door oh okay now this is hilarious because you know i made the joke about the creepy guy in the van earlier but now that i see the van and you're all headset you know what you look like fbi you look like a surveillance crew <laughs> yeah Right, you're wiretapping the house with the FBI, and you know, yeah, go, 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 <laughs> open the window, everyone, right, the door, and everyone jumps out. <laughs> That's exactly. We, like, we've had to be a little bit careful about where we park at night, and like, you definitely don't want to park in front of people's homes for that very reason. Um, for them, like, being like, what the what the heck's going on in that van, um, and uh, trying to like keep it on the down low, like even like our voices at night too. And like, I have a, um, a little projector here. I'll show you what you a little projector right there. And this whole, this whole door becomes the screen 
for like, oh. for movie nights. So like we'll plug in our headphones and listen to the movie <laughs> so that we don't like alert people that we're in this vehicle. Do I see ventilation above and behind you there? Exactly. So uh, here we've got a little fan, little little van tour here. Uh, we got a fan going, and then um, here there's a skylight that oh, uh, yeah. like it pops open. So I guess it's technically like a moon a moonroof. Is that what they're called? And it's got a blackout screen and a bug screen. It's it's interesting. Right before your internet uh, flipped there for a second, you were talking about um, the experience of wanting things from the past, and you were talking yes. specifically about church. Yeah. So I grew up, my mom raised us Catholic, but then in my teens, I was very into sort of a more evangelical Christian kind of church life and stuff. And neither of those are really a part of my life now. But lately I found myself humming or singing certain <laughs> hymns or songs. The content of them, I don't even necessarily believe in or agree with right. anymore, but there's a comfort that comes with the familiarity of the music. Yeah. You know, my, um, my brother and, um, his boyfriend, we got a bunch of gays in my family, <laughs> uh, which is, uh, which is needed, which is needed, Andrew, that support because like my family is very, you know, conservative, evangelical. Um, and so fill in the dots. It's exactly what you think. Um, but his, uh, his boyfriend is, um, like a fantastic musician too. And like, um, uh, he doesn't, they don't go to church, but like, um, like they'll sit and just like, like he'll just like play like classic. I don't know if you know, like jars of clay and like, like stuff like that to like hymns and like, you know, uh, was, I guess like DC talk stuff. It's so fun. Like being around them. Cause I'm like, yes. Like when, when he plays those songs, even though like, yeah, maybe the words I don't agree like agree with or connect to, but just like that familiarity of like I know more I know more like pop Christian music than I know like regular <laughs> secular music just because the way I grew up. Yeah. There's like a huge hole in my like knowledge for like music because of like what I grew up listening to. Yeah, Paul's uh Paul's Aunt Louise, who is actually the twin sister of his late father, so his dad's twin sister. Um, Paul hadn't seen her in a while. It was maybe three, four years ago. Her, she, her, her kids, grown kids, were located, uh, relocated to the suburbs here for like a year or two on a gig. So we got to, Paul got to reconnect with her. We got to see her. We're hoping to see her actually next month. Um, but she found, she remembered that Paul had lost a treasured hymn book that he grew up with. And also as a musician, he did a lot of church yeah. organ and piano and stuff. Um, and she found in her own possessions, that same hymnal. It was like a different color cover, whatever. Anyway, and recently sent it to Paul, which was really thoughtful and loving. And he pulled it out and he was playing. And I know some of the hymns were singing along and yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that, Part of the Paul has pointed this out, especially like like high church liturgy, like Catholic churches or Episcopalian churches, where there's you know ritual and tradition, and you know the priest is in a certain robe and the bells ring. And I'm like, this is theater. This is yeah, theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Like there's, there's cues and there's call and response and there's there's you know there's a script to follow and there's you know um, Paul Paul calls it opera, especially if every once in a while when you see like I don't know like the Pope's the Vatican and there's like nine, you know, the Cardinals in the red cane. And I'm yeah. like, this is an opera. This looks like a damn opera and all the ornate stuff. And even the incense, like, yeah, this is, this is, this is really interesting theater. And I don't mean to, I don't in any way want to discredit the spirituality or the religious significance that it holds for people. I'm not saying yeah. it's just, but it's, it's, it's both true. of those things at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's also funny too. It's like, I always feel like, yeah, no kidding, like, like we need to, like, get together with people and sing and, like, believe in something collectively and, like, yeah. because it's a feature of being a human. <laughs> Just, like, every time I go to a wedding, I, like, I never dance. Like, I never go out dancing, and I dance at a wedding, and I'm like, oh, this is so fun. 
Yeah, he because it's a feature of being it. a human. <laughs> it has yeah. been around forever. <laughs> I was talking to someone recently, it might have been Paul, about like, where are other places in contemporary culture that you gather together and you sing? And the only thing I could come up with is sporting games, where you oh, sing yeah. the national anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you sing your school's fight song. Yeah. You know? But that's organized around the sport, right? Like, that's sort of the reason, the thing to believe in is your team or the sport or, you know, whatever. Um, I miss that. This is really, my mother, uh, when, it, when often when she's in Chicago, she'll, uh, especially if it's around a holiday, she'll want to go to Mass. And so I'll find, you know, a church nearby. And kind of, I think maybe she even kind of uh, initiated this idea, but we'll try different churches like why not you know and the architecture is cool in, in the city a lot of them are old cathedrals and i love going to mass with my mom and, and it just feels good to participate with her in that way and i don't know maybe in my mind she just liked that i came because she wanted company but she told me this is maybe two years ago we've gone to my house <laughs> somewhere and she told me that the reason she likes me to go to mass with her is because she likes to hear me sing uh isn't that the sweetest That's thing? Super sweet. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I was with my parents. By the way, I can't remember if I said this in this conversation. Yeah, I did. That my parents are, are fully vaccinated. Yes, yes, yes. And we happened to be down there last week, and they were about five days shy of, of the complete period, so we, we wore masks. Yeah. But we went in the house, which we had not done in a year. We would only visit with them on the porch. And I found myself at the time singing. Maybe it was just a self, just relaxed or whatever. And it didn't occur to me, I should ask her, I was like, I wonder if mom just likes hearing me sing, period. Like, maybe not just at mass. When they're at our house, of course, they get treated to the piano. Paul's, you know, we have a, a, a grand, a baby grand in the living room. And, you know, Paul's at the piano a lot of the time. And my, my parents, my dad especially, just love that. But I think, I know I'm, I'm rambling on, you started with like church and music and that sort of communal thing. Um, from what I read, I, a lot of the stuff that I've been reading in COVID, first of all, I track a lot of the science and what's going on with, you know, positivity rates and vaccines. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated with that. But I've also been reading a lot about what's happening culturally and socially and how's this affecting children and stuff. And I can't tell you how many people who are not even in our my industry or Paul's who are, they're like, oh, my God, I miss live music. Or, oh, my God, I miss just gathering with people and listening to something or seeing something. We watched a comedy the other night at home. It was a, a movie. And it was funny and it was cute. And, you know, we were having a good time. But I realized, have you, have you ever been to a, a, a movie theater to see a comedy and there's only a few people in the audience? Pokemon was like one other person. I took my brother to see Pokemon. No, I think it was just well, just Pokemon was a small, small attended. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is what I became aware of is when audiences, and you know this, this is true with improv, with theater, with anything, audiences are not just responding to the stage, but they're also responding oh, to yes, each other. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I, I, I saw, um, Frick, what is it called? Uh, uh, Napoleon Dynamite with like a couple other people in the audience. Yeah. And it's a little flat, right? <laughs> it was a little more awkward when I would lose my shit laughing, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but if you're in a, a packed theater with 100 yeah, people and everyone belly laughs at the same time, it elevates the whole experience. So we were watching this movie and I was like, listen, I, uh, you know, again, privilege. I have the internet. I have a device on which I can watch Netflix. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, this is not suffering. But I was like, God, I want to go. It was a, a. There were times when we were just laughing and I was aware of yeah. – the difference between two guys sitting alone in bed laughing versus a hundred people in the theater laughing. And I miss that. I miss, I mean, you know, I talk about the Metro train going by um, and there's a, there's a station, there's a stop right at the end of our block. Right. You know, it's it, the, the train makes like three stops in the city and then goes to the North shore suburbs. Well, that, when that train lets off, you know, however many times a day, but especially let's say half a dozen times during evening rush hour we have all these people walking by haven't seen those people in a year and at times like the quiet is nice but i'm like i kind of miss all that like bustle and just the sense of of life happening and people being about the business of doing things yeah yes 100 percent. and uh, well maybe as you know there's no covid in florida so like we are seeing a little bit more of that that bustle here <laughs> Which has been kind of kind of odd. It's like, you know, 
uh, man, I haven't gone and like ate in a restaurant, but we'll go sit on the porches uh, or like the um, the outside seating, you know, or whatever. Um, but like just like walking by some restaurants and stuff that are packed, and it's like, well, I guess life is life is pretty normal here. <laughs> yeah, and we've seen the numbers in Florida; they haven't been good. No kidding, no kidding. Yeah, Matt and I have like. Well, I mean, we're like very much like whenever we're in a, like a, a situation, we have our mask on and like we're sanitizing like crazy. But we're like, man, if we get through Florida and not, don't get COVID, we're getting pretty lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I was, uh, you were talking about, you know, comedy and like um, people, <laughs> like not very many people laughing. Well, of course, you know, I've done like a million shows to like three or four people. And, uh, <laughs> I was somebody posted a video yesterday on their Instagram feed of someone doing some like solo like comedy stuff and you could tell it was like two or three other people in the audience and uh, I heard this laugh that I haven't heard in over a year and I used to hear it for like 10 years straight and it's a um, it's a loud supportive laugh <laughs> to kind of tell that person that like there's somebody else here it's a laugh right. that's coming from a comedian usually and it's a laugh that also might be like letting that person know that I get the joke. Like I'm in on the joke, but it's not an authentic laugh. <laughs> That's the one thing it isn't, <laughs> but there's so yeah. many laughs like that in the comedy world. Cause, uh, shows will be lightly attended. They'll be attended by other comedians. They'll be attended by the friends of comedians, or they'll be attended by people who want to want to let you know that they get the, get the joke or get the comedy but it's not an authentic laugh. I was like, I haven't heard that laugh in over a year. <laughs> right. And right now I would take 20 inauthentic laughs just to hear. Yes. Um, this is interesting. Yes. You said something. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, I just had this conversation this week with, with clients. So uh, this is the way I describe the three phases of the live events industry in COVID, and we're kind of entering phase four. Phase one, shut everything down, cancel everything. Yeah. And of course, at the time, I remember early on, I was like, I don't know, it seems kind of like overly cautious, you know, or like, oh, that's just, you know, the company hosting the event doesn't want the liability. And of course, later I was like, oh my God, what ignorance assumptions on my part and now we know like oh my god if we had started canceling shit a month before you know like it could have been a whole different story but um phase one cancel everything phase two for my industry was like zoom maybe a little web environment like you know do the virtual whatever thinking at the time like maybe we'll be done with this in six or nine months and then phase three was oh shit we're going to be in this for a long time and a lot of my clients and a lot of my agency partners started building these sort of robust 3D platforms, environments of like, oh, I'm actually at the theater and I move my, you know, this whole sort of immersive thing. And I, I love it. I'm enjoying the work. Um, I'm grateful for the work. But this is a thing. And I told clients this recently. Uh, sometimes clients, they'll be debating if they want like their keynote speaker to be live or pre-produced or... I was in California in November. It's the only time I've traveled um, since February of the previous year. Um, and and we were in a, a television studio. So it was very COVID safe. Everyone got tested before we went. Temperature checks every day. Check, uh, tests during the gig. Masks, distancing, all that. The only time someone took off a mask was if a presenter was actually on set. And we would clear the set and they'd take off their mask and do their presentation. It's hard as a presenter, as a singer, as an actor, as a speaker to try to give energy to a virtual audience, whether they're live or recorded, when the space that you're in is not giving anything back to you. Yeah, of course. I mean, we didn't, you know, you could, you could hire a small, bring in a small audience and spread them out, you know, to give a little whatever, but like, I don't know if you noticed this, Johnny, but some of the best you know, Jimmy Kimmel and, and Jimmy Fallon. It feels awful. It feels awful, doesn't it, when you watch them? And you know how hard that is for them. Yeah. Right? And they're, all they get back is deafening silence. And I give them a lot of credit, but the best of everything out there, I keep thinking about the Emmys last year, the Super Bowl, there was some really great work and, and a lot of great problem-solving, whatever. 
it's not as good as it was because it can't be. You can't, every once in a while, I feel like I have to tell clients, they're like, we need to replicate this and replicate that and give the feeling of it. I'm like, we're going to do that to a degree, but don't kid. There's the train again. Go in the other direction. Hello, North Shore people. Um, the idea of replicating human interaction, it just, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was uh, having my little like, temper tantrum about online stuff the other day talking to Matt because like I obviously like it's better than nothing and there's times I walk away from like teaching an online class I feel so good and like so fueled but then there's also like as much as you want to pretend the the glass is half full like you have those moments you're like oh this is fucking half empty and it sucks (laughs) I was just having a temper tantrum about like I hate it when people talk about like Ooh, we're exploring the future of how we can do new fun things online. And we're listening to NPR and it was like talking about a gay bar having like a, a dance scene um, and like whatever online. And like, yeah, that's cool. But sometimes I'm in the mode of like, no, it's not cool. It fucking sucks. <laughs> it's I want to be dancing. I want to be sweating. I want to be listening to the music. I want spilled drinks on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, I know it's better than nothing, but it sucks. Okay. It's, it's better than nothing. <laughs> Well, like think about uh, you know when Matt and Paul were playing when they were duetting on opposite sides of the window and the yeah. wall, and that was which, like really which was super cool. Awkward. And I'll have to I'll have to um, post that on YouTube and like tag this in the video so people can check that out because that was really cool. Yeah, and he's done that with other. This is before Winter set in, of course, but with other musicians, and it's it is lovely and it is, but there's also that longing of like, ooh, it still feels like a substitute. <laughs> you know, it's the, I, I have to say, you know to your point earlier about different people having different experiences. My husband is a collaborative artist, a yeah. collaborative musician. <laughs> yeah. And first few months people were doing online this and he would live stream. And for him, it was very therapeutic, like just kind of expressing his feelings at the piano. And people were very responsive to that and very affirming and very loving. But he has said for months now, he talks to most of his musician friends and they're like, I don't have the energy. I don't have the motivation. Yeah. But, you know, they're not, it's, they're, those types of art forms are designed for an audience and for people to respond to. And if you, if that is either virtual or just removed at all, it's, you know, I, I, people have asked since the beginning of this, do we think that people are going to want to go work in offices again? Do we think that people are going to gather for live events? Do we, and and my take on it, everyone's going to be, is already craving those real in-life experiences. And I don't know, you know, exactly when we're going to reach herd immunity in this country versus other countries or state, you know, compared to other states. But I believe that in most cultures that I'm aware of, once it becomes an option, people are going to be like, hell yes, I'm going to go do this in person. Yeah, I think so too. I don't think that we're going to be like, well, I mean, at least on a personal level, I don't feel that way. Do you, I wonder if you experience this because you and I know lots of people in the arts I would say again, kind of that phase two, I was getting invited to so many, this virtual concert, that virtual recital, this online performance, this Zoom sketch comedy, and I want to support my friends, and I love that I'm being invited, but there are times where I'm like, I don't want to sit and look at a screen anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) I I feel the same way too. I will say this, that in general in life, I have... um, very little issue with saying no to things I don't want to do. I, Good. Yeah. Which is like, uh, part of that is, is like, try to, I guess, come in a little full circle here is like, I have a knee jerk reaction to no. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like, like I have like talked about how I value my free time so much. And like, I've been like kind of protective of like how many, like how much time I spend with other people. Um, so I have to kind of compensate for that, but man, do I have no problem saying no to things. <laughs> I just grown up just being like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Someone once told me that, I mean, and you and I too, you know, like part of our training is saying yes. Right. And that's mm-hmm. not just me. That's not just an idea on stage, but a thing in life. But someone once I, don't, I read this somewhere like, yeah, sometimes saying no means you're saying yes to all the other options because you're freeing <laughs> yeah. yourself up. You know. that, that's a good way to yeah good way to put it for sure um yeah you know it's 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 good to talk to you because i feel like you've got such a great um self-awareness about like 
like when I've talked to you and Paul about like how you're handling things and like uh, how you're thinking about things, I, it, it's just so funny because like I don't even like I almost don't remember like we're in a pandemic because it's become so second nature. Yeah. And then I'm almost like confused about why I feel weird or my brain feels different. And like, I feel like um, you and Paul have been very like active at trying to like stay connected with people, like find the spice of life still and like be, be aware of what's going on in, inside yourself. Cause for me, it just all of a sudden it'll be like, I won't think about it for a couple of weeks and it'll sneak up and I'll be like, Oh, that's why I feel this way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned, and thank you. I, I take that as a as a compliment. And you mentioned this before. Um, I, I feel, I mean, Paul and I, I feel really proud of of the way he and I are handling life. Honestly, handling our relationship. I mean, again, I, I read a lot of articles about sort of the sociology of things that are going on. And uh, Paul and I see a couples counselor, and we've continued to see him on Zoom once about once a week. And I have a therapist who I see as well. And what I've heard from people in that community is, first of all, therapists, couples therapists, you know, counselors, like they're all super booked up because everyone's stressed the fuck out dealing with, you know, anxiety is up and depression is up and all this stuff. And I've been reading, I've seen article after article that couples, whether you're married or living together or kids or not, like it's stressful on the relationship. Or if you're in like a small van together on the road. Yes. <laughs> You're living in this little cell, and every time you have to poop, you have to find a place to go. Oh my god! Well, at least let's say you can get outside, right, where you are. Yeah, I mean, yes. Johnny, seriously, I bet you and I both know people in New York City whose apartments are about the size of your van. Yeah, for sure. And they don't walk outside to a beach and a boardwalk, right? I know. Paul and I—I <laughs> I don't remember when we became aware of this. Let's say it was three months in. Our our our. We can remember the date. March 13 was the day that we sort of locked down our house. And I'm going to say April, May. It was probably mid-June when I realized not only had he and I never spent that much time living in the same house together, I travel quite a bit for a living, and Paul does yeah. too. We had never lived in the same state for three months in a row in the history of our relationship. Oh, damn. That's right? wild. We have neighbors. Uh, they're just across the tracks there. Um he travels a lot. He works in live events as well, but he's on the sort of tech side of things. He travels a lot more. And I don't know, he and his wife have been together for four or five years. And she was like, I'm used to having these breaks where he would just be gone, you know. Um, but for me and Paul, I have to say, Paul keeps joking. He's like, oh, yeah, we can handle a trip to Mars together if we had to. We've done really well. Um, you know, like in real life, sometimes there's tension. Sometimes there's conflict. I would say early on it was a little more intense because everything felt – for all of this, really scary yeah. and really depressing and really cut off. And it, and um, it, it hasn't felt um, uh, more difficult through a Chicago winter for you guys? Than you know what? I, I have to say, going into it, I was like, oh, it's going to be winter plus COVID. It's right, going right. to be cold plus quarantine. It's going to be all these things. I It's been easier than I thought. Well, you know, the porch that you guys, where we had dinner, Beautiful porch. We live in the city. The fact that we have access to outside space is an yeah. absolute gift and privilege. Yeah. And we used the shit out of it. Dinners and, yes. you know. Um, <laughs> and a couple times this winter, before it got really bad a few weeks ago, if the, if the temperature got to a certain range, we would set up a small fire pit, text a few friends. Everyone would, you know, spread out. It was BYO everything. Bring If you're going to drink, if you're going to eat, you know, bring a blanket. We're going to um, – so we've been trying to find ways to stay connected. But in some ways, it has not been as hard. And I think for me, it's because partially in winter, you kind of adjust your expectations anyway. Yeah, like, that's we're going to decide more. We're not going to, you know. Yeah. I mean, yes, it would be nice to go to the gym or go to, you know, the Russian sauna and sit in a steam or a movie or someone else's house or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, we have, I, I have to tell you, I think for us, it's, you know, the last month has been Chicago's toughest, uh, yeah. uh, you know, winter time frame so far. Um, we have been taking our nephew uh, sledding sometimes three and four times a week. Yes. Um, at the, one of the park district uh, hills up in Rogers Park. We take him for him, but it's just as good for us. It's exercise. You're, you know, trekking up the steps and then the screaming and, you know, wiping out is fun. Um, so being outside has helped. Yeah. The other thing, well, and also when it would just get really crappy, we were like, all right, we got good food in the fridge. 
we'll make a nice pot of something and, you know, kind of higa and watch a movie. But I, I will tell you, I think the thing that he and I, I, I think we would both attribute to sort of our mental saving grace this winter. And I, maybe I've talked to you about this, but we, before we got into the winter, we told each other, we're going to find reasons to get out after dark, even if it's to go for a drive. Because you know what it's like, right? Yeah. It's dark at 4.30. It's cold. Yeah. You're like, forget it. Like it feels like right? the day's done. It feels like the day's done. Yep. We have been some weeks, maybe every other day, like for a while, I, you know, I was, I was sewing. I was making masks, right? Mm-hmm. And we would just drive to friend's house and like give them masks and have these like five-minute conversations, you know, masks, you know, outside on their porch or the front door or whatever. And then for a while, Paul was, he's a Georgia boy. Uh, and he found a place in the city that he could get raw peanuts. And he was making bo- bold peanuts, bold peanuts. <laughs> um, we call them boiled peanuts. And a friend of ours was like, are you talking about a bald penis? No, it's a boiled <laughs> peanut. Yes, we are. But also boiled peanuts. Yes. But he would <laughs> come home with 10 pounds of peanuts. And he would, there's this whole ritual of the cooking and the water and the salt. And then he would put them in bags and we would go to my cousins and friends uh, and neighbors. Those little connection points have been a big part of our sanity. When It's funny because then the, um, the peanuts went out of season. So we started making shrimp salad, you know, <laughs> like people shrimp salad. Yeah. Little, yeah, uh, we were just, we're like, we guys are we the coolest. <laughs> and you know, you've seen how I make, I make like wreaths and reeds and yeah, stuff. You're super. I made good. almost a hundred this winter because <laughs> I needed shit to do and it kept my hands busy. But then I, sometimes I would ship them to people out of state, but I would oftentimes be like, okay, this is going to Brian Elizabeth. I'm going to take one to Lori and Nadine and Evanston. And then we're going to go see Mike's family in Rogers park. So we'd get in the car and we deliver, you know, and it was less about the wreath or the gift. It was more about, Five minutes of human interaction. Yeah. And Paul made this point the other day. In a normal winter, we wouldn't do five-minute visits. You either get together and hang out or you're just hanging out at home. Oh, right. So in some ways, we've maybe pushed ourselves to be a little bit more social yeah. by having these little tiny connections. And I, 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 I hope, I believe that six months from now and whenever we're all a little more able to connect, that there are several friendships that will be more intact because of that or friends that we might have just lost touch with if we didn't if we didn't have create those reasons to connect and sometimes five minutes is all you need with somebody yeah totally <laughs> maybe you don't want more than five yeah <laughs> my, five minutes is plenty <laughs> my friend, i have a friend um uh peter uh who lives next like next to me we always see each other going to trader joe's and like um, him and his wife, like, uh, would, used to be out walking their dog when they had a dog. Um, but, uh, um, my husband like, like bumped into him and like, Peter's just the nicest guy. And, uh, my husband came back once and he's like, you know what? He's like, Peter is the perfect stop and chat person. He knows how to like give you a very authentic hello. Hey, how's it going? And then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Because, and Peter's someone that I can hang out with all day, but like sometimes that's an art form for people to like stop uh, and chat and then walk away. We, oh my God, Andrew. Um, so uh, Matt was out playing cello. He's busking, you know, in Sarasota. <laughs> and there's another family that's like. Can we, just, can we just say that busking in Sarasota sounds like a great title for a movie? Yeah, for sure. Or it a is. show or a book or something. I'll have to write it. Um, there's a. Uh, so there's like a, a kid out there, maybe like 13, 14, who's also got a cello. Oh. And um, uh, Matt stops and just like says hi to them. And like he's with his parents, I like, guess he's leaving. And I'm like driving up to, <laughs> to pick him up in the van. Oh, no. And then so he, so, <laughs> no, not like creepy. <laughs> the mom comes over and like our doors open and like Matt's like ready to get in. And like, dude, I have never seen someone not know how to stop talking so hard in my entire life we sat there for we were trapped there for 55 minutes (laughs) like giving her all the cues that we're packing up and we're like well that's great (laughs) and like she's like standing at the door of the car and (laughs) and every time we were like okay bye it was as if she was scared to say goodbye and then was like, just started talking about something more. It, 
I, I, <laughs> I got in the car. We drove off. I was so angry. I was fuming. <laughs> I like, I was like, we parked. I was like, Matt, I have to go for a walk. I can't handle this. This lady just couldn't stop talking. It was the worst. I wonder if those, if that's more intensified for her, like it might be for a lot of us, because we're so socially starved right now. Maybe. I think she did this to everyone <laughs> she saw yeah. on the street. Just Thursdays with her. Yeah. It was rough. <laughs> Any, anyways, dude, it was great getting to talk with you. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, I'm excited to be back in Chicago and get my garden going and have you come over and... Oh my god, I, I totally... We're, we already figured we... There were a few things that we saw about the way that you were raising your tomatoes that we're going to use this year. Can I tell you one more story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, I think, like, again, I think part of what you've been getting at with some of your questions is, like, some positive outcomes or, like, solutions yes. for living in COVID. Yep. So, you know, I mentioned that our block is normally really busy with pedestrians, but this year, especially in summer, because the train comes by and, like, three people get off of the train, right, instead of, like, 300 people or whatever. But there is that daycare at the end of the block, and in summer, a lot of the parents come by with the strollers to pick up their kid or their kids and whatever. So this summer, we weren't working much. We were outside all the time. And, you know, we had, remember how we built the, we had the corn growing on this, and that that uh, pedestrian area? The three ladies, is it? It was, the, it, uh, the three sisters. The three sisters, yes. Corn. Beans and squash. Yeah, they can all grow together. Literally, there were probably 50 people, maybe 100 over the course of those few months, who would stop and want to comment ask about the corn, talk about, that we would never have had those conversations yeah, if we were just busy doing life and not on the porch and whatever. Um, and the, 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 the preschoolers, the little ones, yeah. for them, that's like, they would walk by it every day and, they, and, they, and I would tell them like... Yeah, corn grows fast. This, yeah, it does. Like this, one of these days, this corn's going to be taller than <laughs> you guys and then they come by a week later and it's up to here. There are at least, I can think of one family and maybe two who we've actually, I consider friends, we've, uh, they've come over and had brunch on the porch. Uh, this one couple they from just, from seeing your corn. From that's where the conversation started. Their toddler. Cool. Remember, I used to have the Easter eggs on the gate. Yes, you took those off. Um, I kept them up into the fall. Oh, I know, I know. That's why I said that. And then I put because our our plan was we're going to keep them up until we can celebrate Easter, which may be next year. And then I made fall colored eggs. <laughs> Because there were so many little kids that would come by and stop and look at the eggs and talk about them. I was like, I can't take those away from yeah. them. Aww. But this one little boy, he, his name is Eli. He was two. He's now two and a half. Every day, he would sit on his dad's shoulders and he had to count the eggs. So we just started chatting with them. Well, fast forward six months later, they've come over and hung out. They've had a second child since then. They have a, She's now six months old, so we must have known them for about nine months old. Um she, the, the, the mom, the wife in the situation recently had surgery. We took some food, but we would not have had these friends. There are more neighbors that I know socially and people who live, the building where I work also has apartments in it, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, everyone kind of sort of keeps themselves, but conversations about the corn, conversations about the eggs. I mean, it just, it's, there, there are ways where I think at the, at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about that sense of community in the yeah. village and I'm, to me, there's that experience of isolation and being cut off from people and missing people, but somehow at the same time, a sense of slightly heightened community. Our, you were talking about our neighborhood, mm-hmm. Christmas, uh, New Year's Eve, like, you know, what are you going to do for New Year's Eve and COVID in a, you know, quarantine? Our neighbors across the alley put out their fire pit, invited like eight people. We all spread out, threw some things on the fire, listened to music. I would love to spend every New Year's around a fire pit with <laughs> people. Like, it was cool. super fun. That's really cool. I mean, cool. ask the distance, which is all still a little bit weird, but, you know, there, there, are, there, are, there are elements of the slowing down and of the being closer yeah. to home that have created opportunities for engagement that either they weren't there before or I just wasn't paying attention because I was too busy doing all of my important things, you know? Yeah. Dude, you're the best. <laughs> I am definitely can't wait to see you guys. In Chicago. Oh my God. Have, you know guys, have you guys over for a, a, a bonfire in our small backyard where it smells like dead rats? Yeah, totally. We've been looking forward <laughs> to the dead rats now forever. Do we, know, do we know when you're coming back? or that's? Oh, I don't know. I think we want to come back when it's warm. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> maybe we'll, we'll be back June. in May. <laughs> yeah, June. maybe June. Yeah, it's Chicago. <laughs> All right, brother. I love you. Thanks so much for doing this. We love you. Thanks for having me. Tell Paul, I, tell Paul I said hi, too. I will. Give my best to Matt. Matt. Will do. See you, man. All right, toodles. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on. Dance appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on, dance. Wake up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on, dance. Wake up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on, dance. Wake up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Yeah.